0: We've been in this series called Powerful Old Testament Statements, and um, yeah, it's um, it's been a really, really long desire for me to get into these things because over the course of my life, people have taught these parts of the Old Testament to me and have radically transformed my life. My walk with God has impacted me deeply, and I would like to transfer these um, these truths to our church so that we might develop uh, along these lines as well and recognize uh, the, the, you know, the, the weight of God's desire in the scriptures for us and try our best to come to the party to live up to them, right? So, for those of you who came in new today, we did a th- this is the third sermon, and in our first sermon, we talked about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's very, very important in this sermon series that you understand the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How to read the Old Testament. How to read the New Testament. And so, because there is, there's things you'll read in the Old Testament that is representative of an agreement that God made with humanity that have expired. Right? That agreement that God made with humanity was completed. It was brought to fulfillment and There's a ton of that that passed through the filter, so to say, of the cross, but there's this bunch of it that got stuck in the cross. For instance, animal sacrifices got stuck in the cross. I hope none of y'all are doing animal sacrifices anymore. If you are, please come speak to me afterwards urgently, okay? We do not do those things anymore because the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice was made that that completed and fulfilled what the animal sacrifices literally was a shadow of. The real thing has come in Christ, the lamb that was slain. And so now, perfect righteousness is, um, is afforded to us by our faith in this sacrifice that Jesus did. And we don't have to work on the temporary righteousness that we gain by animal sacrifice, going back, sinning, and coming again and sacrificing. The Bible says those Animal sacrifices could only temporarily bring a solution to man's sin. But in Christ's sacrifice, there's a permanent solution to man's sin. And that we can attain his righteousness on a permanent basis based on our faith. On his perfect work, not on our good works. Let me tell you all, this good works thing is such an important thing to understand. Because if you're still trying to please God through good works... You are operating with an Old Testament mindset. You are still serving God with the framework and the agreement that you have to perform according to a certain set rules and standards in order for Him to uh, um, uh, um, approve of you. Where in the New Testament, God's approval to us is granted to us based on you. Jesus' righteousness and the fact that we have placed our trust in him for our salvation, in Christ for our salvation. That's huge because that gives us no longer the, the obligation of trying to prove our righteousness to him. That gives us the sure standing of salvation and acceptance from which we now walk in thankfulness and in um, obedience according to his ways and according to his will. So we still live with good works and we do good works why because it's pleasing to our the lover of our soul like I want to please anybody that I'm in a good relationship with not do things that constantly you know rub them up the wrong way constantly you know disrespect them constantly rebel against them because what my relationship is going to be broken but because I have this firm relationship with Christ by faith I can now walk out these good works From a place of understanding, I have been accepted, and I have been given righteousness. I no longer have to work for that. My salvation is secure in Him through my faith, and that's all. The rest is my my walking out of obedience. The rest is my walking into what I now want to do, because like we spoke about with Micah, Micah, right, Micah? The internal change that happens makes me start wanting to do things that previously I was told I had to do. Being born again and becoming a Christian changes obligation into desire. I am obliged to come to church because I'm a Christian. No, I'm a Christian. So I want to go to church. I'm obliged to whatever, put in the blank. No, I don't. I desire to do it because it pleases my father. And so it's so important to understand the differences between these two agreements and to understand that, you know, the, the, the law might have gotten stuck in this filter, but the principle still passed through. For instance, God gave the Israelites all these civil laws that they had to follow. Why? Because he wanted them to be distinct. He wanted them to look different from the other nations so that they may be a witness and a testimony to his glory and his goodness. If they looked all the same, how would it be known that there is a God that's actually leading them and and guiding them and guarding them, right? So that's the, 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 the big thing that we have to get from that is that we don't dress like them anymore today. Right, We don't follow their rules of um, uh, 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 punishment of certain sins. We don't deem certain things unclean anymore. We don't follow their... Uh, all that rules got stuck in the, in, the, in, the, in the filter of the cross. But what passes through is still the principle that I want you to be different. Because you're holy to me. See, the Israelites were holy not because they were perfect, but because they were chosen for a purpose. They were chosen that through them, redemption might be revealed to the world, right? Jesus was born to the Israelites. So um, uh, God guided them and guarded them and gave them a lot of things that would help create the context within which Jesus would make sense so that Jesus could then be explained to the whole rest of the world. But God never did not love the other nations. He always loved the other nations as well, but he chose Israel for a specific purpose. So that's why Israel was kind of set apart from the rest. Not because they were special, but just because they were chosen. Sometimes we think Israel is special because Israel is something. No, Israel is nothing. Israel is something because God chose them. If God didn't choose Israel, Israel wouldn't be what Israel is socially today. So they were set apart for his purposes. That meant they were holy unto him he chose them and therefore they you know uh, became the nation through which the savior was introduced to humanity so the principle still passes true god has a purpose for you and i you and i are called to be used by god now that we're born again we are called to be holy so that means that we're called to be different we're called to stand out from the bunch so that people can see This is a person that is led by a holy, good, joyful, peace-filled, righteous God. If we look no different from the world, then nobody can can recognize the glory of God in us. And so the principle still passes through, correct? So it's important for us because in this series, we're looking at Old Testament statements that can come over as really judgmental. And really condemning. Because when you read the Old Testament, the Bible says every time you read the law, the law brings death. Because what the law tells you is you're not good enough. You've failed and you're going to hell. And, 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 and so, so, so reading the Old Testament sometimes feel like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to be good enough. And I'm always going to fail. And so um, that makes people sometimes grow weary and sometimes want to give up. And so what we want to do is we want to get the life that is in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament creates such a context for understanding the New Testament better. Right. So... If today you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, just understand that it's not meant to just be stepping on toes. We don't do that at this church. We really love everybody and we want everybody to walk in a relationship with God where they get to know God well, where they walk free from sin habits, free from things hurt in the past, get freedom and victory over things that have, you know, caused them harm, but also learn how to make disciples. So our heart is absolutely for people to thrive in their relationship with God. And sometimes, you know, you, you got, got to get to and talk about things that matter to God because they are still in place. The principle of obedience to Him and His commands are still in place. Nothing changed about that. God still wants us to obey Him. He's still calling us to live holy. He's still calling us to follow Him. And so today I want to talk about a topic that's really dangerous. And, and, and sometimes, you know, people find this a little bit rough and they want to, you know, maybe, maybe say, okay, I don't think I want to go to that church. They're a little, a little bit too much. Um, so I'm asking you for grace for me so that I can say what the Bible says and we can walk out here with a greater understanding of the heart of God for our relationships with Him. Can you all help me with that? Woo, it's going to be a rough day. All right. (laughs) I'm I'm, going to tackle it anyways. Last week, Esther spoke about being intentional about serving God. She spoke about Joshua's statement, me and my house will serve the Lord and spoke about how it's necessary for us to not just do that flippantly, but be intentional about it. How many of you started memorizing some scripture throughout the week? Any, any hands, anybody that memorized some scriptures? I'm glad you guys did that. That's awesome. Memorizing scripture is a way that you can be intentional about following Jesus. In fact, our, our, our effort this year and kind of like my big goal for this year is to, let, to have every single person in our church read the Bible for themselves. If you will read the Bible for yourself this year, and you will have a habit of doing so, uh, this year, for me, that's my goal. It's let everybody read the Bible for themselves habitually, right? Now, when you habitually read the Bible, you are going to come across things that you don't understand. That's good, because it means that you're actually reading enough of it, all right? There are difficult parts in the Bible. I'm not going to try and, you know, sugarcoat it and say it's going to be all easy, but that's what community is for. That's why our church gathers in relationships, gathers in groups, so that we can have those conversations. Hey, what do you make of this scripture? Look, my wife and I still have these conversations. Like when we're, we're both reading through the, um, we're trying to read through the New Testament every, um, every two months. We're trying to read through the New Testament. We did it in one month, and it, we managed, but it was a little much. It was, not much, it was good. It was really good. I, I wish that we could go back to that. We're going to grow back to that. Okay, that's my commitment. But I, we are currently reading through the New Testament every second month, the whole thing. And I can't tell you all how incredible the perspective is that you read, because you start seeing where the Bible references itself because you're reading enough of it to remember things that you just read that now is reoccurring in another place, right? (laughs) And so my wife and I just had like these rich conversations about what do you think this means? What do you think that means? Well, this is that, this is this. And it came about because we wanted to start talking about it because we were reading enough of it that led to us not knowing certain things that we have, you know, that that we thought we knew it all. Um, So it's important to realize that you don't know it all yet, right? And just get reading, just get reading. Okay, so... That's a real intentional way of walking with God in relationship. And go listen to that message to find out more of it. Because I know that once we make an intentional effort to practically regularly connect with God, our lives will be transformed. It's just, it's just not possible for you to immerse yourself in His Word and not gain life from it. It's going to happen for sure. Right, so today I want to talk about, um, like I said, about obedience, right? And so um, there's going to be kind of t- Two, th- four four major themes that will, uh, at the end of the time, be, a, be um, in, in revealed. Obedience, sacrifices, j- uh, rebellion, and witchcraft, okay? So we're going to talk about how those th- those things come together. So please join me in 1 Samuel 15 in your Bible. If you want to read along in your own Bible, otherwise you can follow along on the screen. So I'm going to do a lot of reading today, and I'm going to make some comments out of it. and. Uh, by the time we're done, definitely we'll have been done almost with the whole of 1 Samuel 15. So verse 1 to 3 says the following. Samuel said to Saul. So for those of you who don't know who Samuel was, he was a prophet. And Saul was the first appointed king of Israel. Um, too much context to explain before that, but he was the first king and Samuel anointed him. So Samuel comes to Saul and he says this. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Sounds a little rough, right? We have to understand four things. To realize what's going on here, four things really important, and you have to keep this in mind when you read the Old Testament. Number one, in the Old Testament, God was actively judging and executing justice in real time amongst nations. All right? It's different in the New Covenant. God does not operate like that currently. But in this era, God actively judged and executed justice among nations by judging them and punishing them for their disobedience, okay? And he says here that he's noted Amalek and what they did, and I'll talk about that in a second, right? In the New Testament, God is judging nations based on, um, oh, let me say, God is judging sin in his son. That's very important. He's judging sin in his son And he's postponing executing justice until he has the final judgment where he will disperse the believers and the non-believers from one another. But God is not actively using nations to judge and execute justice against one another in this time because he has brought his son. And now everywhere he's calling all men to repent to his son. Right? And since now his son has followers in every single nation, it's a little bit more difficult to judge a nation based just on where it goes because he has children of his own inside those nations. And so he's postponing the execution of justice until the day where he will judge the world. And then all peoples of all tribes will be extracted from these nations that are his and the rest will be punished for their disobedience. So it's important to understand that God was acting and in, in doing things a little difficult, different sorry in the Old Testament. The second thing was he would judge nations but he would judge Israel just as harshly for their disobedience. He would judge fairly between nations based on his holy standards and his righteousness and his integrity and he will not have favoritism in regards to moral Um, sin. He, He would judge Israel when they disobeyed him just as harshly as he would judge other nations if their sin justified that judgment, right? And the third thing is that actually in the Old Testament, God's judgments released grace. God's judgments released grace, like God's judgment on Jesus released grace to us in the Old Testament, God judging people released grace. Why? Because when he removed the evil from humanity, he would preserve humanity from being influenced by what he removed. It's so important that we understand this, because otherwise we might think of God being this genocidal you know, maniac that just goes about doing you know, whatever he wants to people that he don't like. God was fair. He would judge Israel the same. He would judge other nations the same. And he would use nations to judge one another for their disobedience. But the way he would then, what he would do is he would remove evil from the world. Or he would judge evil so that repentance could happen, so that humanity would be preserved. Here's why that was important. Just a short while ago in Scripture, you read of the flood, right? Why did the flood happen? Well, the flood happened because before, when God made humanity, there was no law. And there was no consequence to not following law because there was no law. And within a couple of generations, humanity had become so utterly evil that God had to remove all of that to preserve a seed of righteousness for him to continue his, um, his walk with humans on earth. And so God saved the world by judging the world and leaving Noah and his family to repopulate the earth. But then he introduces laws And he introduces consequences and he introduces judgment actively to teach nations to not continue to disobey him. And in so doing preserving humanity for a time where we would be able to receive the son of righteousness and gain entry back into his kingdom right? Because we were sinful and naturally that sinfulness led to separation with him. So all of this is God's love displayed, sometimes tough love, but to keep humanity in the game so that we will be in a place where we can receive his grace through Jesus Christ at some point in time. So when God sent Saul to this nation, God was acting justly and he was preserving humanity from whatever has been going on in this nation. Now you got to understand the Amalekites have been rebellious against God, evil to their core for 400 years at this point. For 400 years, God was giving the Amalekites chance to turn to him. To repent of their their evil ways. See, sometimes we think that Israel was the only nation who acknowledged God. That's not true. There were many nations who knew the God of Israel. But God did not have that specific purpose for all of the nations that he had with Israel that he revealed to us in his word for But God has always been a God of all the nations. He still loves all the nations. And he's still trying to save every nation right? His plan played out in Israel, but it wasn't just for Israel. In fact, the Bible declares Israel is not Israel who is born in Israel. Israel is Israel who was born spiritually. You and I are part of the real Israel because we've been born into the kingdom of God. And people who might've grown up Jews, but rejected Jesus are not counted as the real Israel because they denied the son. And whoever denies the son will not have the father. So we look at this and we see the grander picture and we understand that, okay, good, God sent this time around Israel under the leadership of King Saul to go and judge Amalek for what they have been doing and have been for 400 years unrepentant in their evil. evil. And God decides, okay, it's it's time to remove them from the face of the earth, lest their influence permanently wrecks humanity. Okay, so that's the context that we have. Let's read further. Verse 15, uh, verse 7 says Saul then. He defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Everyone say, alive. alive. And he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared. Everyone say, spared. spared. Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and the fattened calves, and lambs, and all that was good, he would not, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised, and worthless, this, he did devote to destruction. So Saul goes, the prophet tells him, this is the word of the Lord to you, go and strike Amalek, and destroy them. Saul goes, and basically does everything that an earthly king of the time would do. He attacks the nation, he captures their, their king, he would bring the king back home to parade him in front of his people so that he would shame that king and boast in his own victory. That's what was customary. That's what culturally they would do if they attacked other nations. They would take for themselves the best of the possessions of this conquered nation and after the king had took what he wanted, he would let the rest of his men divide the rest of the loot among themselves, and then he would kill everything else, burn it to the ground, so that that kingdom could not recover. Nothing to see here. Everything's normal, right? Except God had a major, major issue. Verse 11 says this, God says this, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. What do you mean he's not performed my commandments? I mean, he went there, did not. Those guys are killed. That nation's done. They're not going to recover ever. What do you mean he did not perform my commandments? Why was God so bad? What did he do that was so bad? I mean, looks like he did mostly what God sent him to do, right? Right? So often we find ourselves in this place where Saul is in right now. The Bible teaches us to do something, and then we do, some, then we do this. We make up our own version of what God would like us to do, when he would like us to do it, and, what, and, and when it's okay, okay to do it or not. And then we do our version of it and have the audacity to present it to God and say, Look, God, all my efforts, all my good works, all my good intentions. It's in verse 13, Saul comes to Samuel after, after Samuel arrived in Gilgal, where they were at, and he said to Samuel, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of God. So Samuel tries to explain to him, Saul, so your good intentions and your amended version of what God commanded you to do, that doesn't count. Verse 18, he says to him. The Lord sent you on a mission, and he said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you, not, why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of, of, of the Lord your God? Can it be? Why is God so mad? I mean, Saul just did what was customary, right? I mean, Saul just did what was culturally acceptable, right? See what Saul does, and it's, it's the pattern that I showed you just now. Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction but the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. I mean, you don't say Lord, my God, but that's a different preach right there. The Lord, your God, at Gilgal. First Saul tries to justify his disobedience by coming up with an amended version of God's command that's more culturally acceptable. See, Paul, Saul, sorry, Saul wasn't Saul wasn't going to tell his men that they can't have any of the loot. Because that's what his men would expect culturally, their king would do for them. Saul wasn't about to go and kill the king on the battlefield. No, he wanted the glory by parading that king before the people. The Bible says when he came to the first city, he made a monument for himself, boasting in himself. Saul was like, hey, I'm king, aren't I? I mean, this is the way we do things here. And I wonder if he was looking at Samuel and Samuel was just looking at him like this. Can you get to the part where you obeyed? And he moves from justifying his amended version of obedience to trying to justify it with religious activity. Oh, I brought this to sacrifice to the Lord. Let me give you some modern day examples of this. And y'all, I'll be honest with you. I wish I was sitting in the seats right now because this this, this speaks to me so much. Some of these things, man, I've done some of these things. Um, You know, I'm gonna hang out in places so I shouldn't where I shouldn't be, so I can, you know, talk to people about God. (laughs) I'm gonna stop attending church so I can be the church instead of sitting in the pews. I'm gonna keep chatting with women outside my marriage. You know, they need prayer or something. I'm gonna do unethical business deals so I can give more money to the church. Or so I can buy better things for my family. Man, I wrote down one here that I'm just sorry, but my strength is failing me. I just can't say this one. I, I, I don't know, because I, I think it might be so close to home in this culture that over time, I'm, I, I want to get to that one. I'm going to date this. This is not the one. This is your stock standard. I'm going to date this boy so I can lead him to Jesus. No, we don't believe in missionary dating in this church. All right. No missionary dating. I'm going to have sex with this man because, you know, we're going to get married anyways. And, you know, he really just needs somebody to love him right now. Uh, We can continue so far down this list of justifications that we come up with and religious cover-ups that we try to use to defend our disobedience. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to step on your toes here today. I'm, I'm in this boat with you. I've done some of these things myself. Quick story. I was, I was 17 years old, and I was doing what our church called, um, what, what do we call it? I don't know. The version of where you kind of get taught by the, 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 the preacher, everything about Christianity, and then at the end you have to like write a test to see if you know and understand everything and then you're recognized as a member of the church. Is there something like that over here? I don't know, but it was that, okay? So um, our church back home, not the one that I I grew up in, very traditional church, um, that's what they would do, right? So we go on this camp as a final, um, you know, end funk situation to this whole process of a year-long worth of training classes. And at this camp, one night, I'm sitting in our little dorm room, and it's bunk beds, and we're just sitting there, and somebody asks a question, and I answer it, and they start asking more questions, and I start answering it, and before I know it, we're having a conversation that's literally going for an hour and a half about salvation and about what it means to be saved, and and these guys have been in class with me for a whole year, and I'm just like, y'all still not getting it. And so I'm explaining to them what it is the Bible says and why, etc. And eventually I said to them, well, are you guys ready to, to put your faith in Jesus? And man, we were about 12 boys in that, in that dorm room. And that night I led those guys to the Lord. We all prayed the prayer of salvation. And everybody after that prayer is just like, man, I haven't felt this good in my whole life. I'm like, man, I feel like a weight's been lifted off of me. It's amazing. And I'm just like, come on, man. That's amazing. That's what this year was about. Now I was saved going into this year, but they weren't evidently. They got saved that night. <clears throat> and, but now it's like half past one in the morning, right? And the preacher had told us, look. There's no cross. There's no gender mixing in dorms. Nobody visits the ladies' dorms. No ladies visit the men's dorms. This is the camp. This is the biggest camp rule. And he said to us, "And I'm gonna be patrolling and making sure that you guys don't do this, right? But now this is the beginning of the camp. You know, we're in day three, and." I've just led these boys to the Lord. Man, we're all feeling on top of the world. And you know what one guy says? Yo, we need to go tell the girls this. Our friends don't know this. They don't understand what we have come to understand here today. And I'm like uh, and like red flags are going off. Like, you know, it's just bells ringing. And, and before I could like say anything, boom, open the window, everybody's out. And I'm like, uh, and I'm out of the window and we're off to the girl's dorm. And we get in there, we wake him up and it's like, guys, you got to listen to this. We just had its longest conversation and so we're sitting on the beds, and you know, we're sitting next to each other and everything. And the one guy starts saying, I gave my life to Jesus this week the, tonight. And we just had this incredible conversation. And he was just about to start asking them. So we want to talk, do you guys really understand what salvation is about? And the, the preacher just opened the door. Good night, good, good, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Rapture. <laughs> Take me now. <laughs> I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have done No, this was. I'm, and I'm just like, oh, I regretted that decision so bad. What was that? Amended version of the command, followed by a religious reason to cover up my disobedience. That preacher sent us off to our homes. He said, Y'all won't be graduating because um, you don't know the first thing about following Jesus. And that's he requires obedience. So my girlfriend at the camp, she went to him. <laughs> and she played by him, isn't there something else they can do <laughs> to show that they're going to be like... So he came up with a different solution. He gave us an assignment. And then in that assignment, he gave us all the Old Testament instances of where God swallowed people into the earth for their disobedience. Boy, I was shaking in my boots when I done read that Bible study about obedience. Let me tell you, you that shifted something in my life about wanting to obey God accurately and to not try and outsmart God the whole time. Are you ready for the Old Testament statement that we're working on today? It's verse 22. It says that Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen is better than the fat of rams. God desires our simple, mundane, boring obedience more than extravagant acts of good intentions that actually goes against what his word says, or are done for the wrong reasons. God wants our mundane, unimpressive obedience. All right, so if you're feeling uncomfortable now, please hold on to your seat because it's about to get worse. How many of you have felt, because I certainly have, this this inner resistance that just rises up in you when somebody tells you that you have to do something? Okay. Many people experience that, like, you know, they know that they experience it. But sometimes we even unknowingly do this. When somebody tells us you have to do this, something inside me say, who's this cat trying to tell me what to do? He's not the boss of me. I'm going I'm to do... I'm going I'm to show him something. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what he wants me to do. Just to show him that he don't have control of me. Somehow inside of us, there is, a, there is a rebellion that wants to rise up and have control back. The problem is we take that rebellion sometimes with us into the Word of God. And when we read the Word of God and it gives us a specific instruction... Immediate what we want to do is well, here's how I'm gonna do that. Here's how I'm gonna do that. And God will understand. This is gonna transform your relationship, or it's gonna offend you so much you wanna leave. (laughs) See, instead of considering what people are saying, our knee-jerk reaction is to take control back and to act. from a position of pride instead of a position of humility. You guys, I can't tell you the spiritual warfare that goes on behind the scenes when you're asked to obey something that the Word of God says. The devil in all his might tries to act on every one of our pride. All of us in here have pride. Pride. He tries to act on that pride and tell you that you don't have to do that. That this person is a little bit much. That he needs to just high key chill. To get you to not obey and to get you to follow your own way. Someone said the most satanic song of the previous century is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. You don't have to deal in conjuring up demons to play into the devil's hand. All you have to do is say, I'm going to do it my way. Because when you do it my way, you're not doing it God's way. For that, Samuel said the following. He said this, rebellion is as the sin of divination And arrogance or presumption, thinking that we know best, is as the sin of idolatry. What is the sin of divination? It's simply seeking knowledge, understanding, seeking how to do things from another source, other than God's Word, other than God's truth. Now, that source of knowledge can be spiritual. And y'all, in this region, we have a lot of spiritual inquiry happening, tarot cards. I'm talking about the traitors. I'm talking about star signs. And all of these guys will come to you with a whole lot of religious coverings to tell you that, hey, we're actually okay. But they're accessing their knowledge from somewhere different than the word of God. It's divination. It's evil. And following along with that practice is literally like following along with With Satan, it's not following God's word and God's ways. The sin of idolatry is to worship somebody or something other than God as though it was God. How do I know that I'm worshiping something as God? It's when I listen to it. So if I follow my own way, who am I listening to? God or me? So who's really God? Is it God or is it me? I am maybe elevating myself in that moment a little bit too high. And that's why God said this to Saul. Champ, you're trying to fool Saul or Samuel and saying, "Now you're coming to sacrifice, but you've already elevated yourself above me. And for that reason, I'm rejecting you. Samuel says to Saul, God wants your obedience rather than your good intentions. God wants your obedience rather than your good justifications. God wants your obedience rather than your good ideas of how you're going to make up for your disobedience through good works. That doesn't mean good works are bad. But the motive we do them with. Guys, that makes all the difference. See, God sees the heart. God sees your heart. Galatians 6 verse 7 to 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What does obedience look like? Psalm 119.15 says this. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. It's just like a prayer that I pray over us. Verse 30 says, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I've set your rules before me. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I love you. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Here's what disobedience is not, uh, what obedience is not. It's not partial obedience, which is actually also disobedience. Psalm 119.4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Another uh, translation says completely. Delayed obedience is also not obedience. It's also actually disobedience. Psalm 160, this is the spirit that we need to adopt. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Number three, sporadic obedience is also not obedience. Proverbs 14.12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. I'm really praying for us. And as I was praying leading up to this message, I almost didn't preach it because I was like, man, I don't, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want people to feel like, man, we're condemning them. I, how do I say this in a way that, ooh, you know, so I was just in fear and trepidation myself for this message, but knowing that this is such an important aspect to our walk with the Lord. I feel it's imperative that we heed the call of Scripture to not think that just because we're in the new covenant, it's okay to sin. Because it's not. God still calls us to obey. He still calls us to follow Him accurately. So I think obedience is, is really well represented by this verse in Proverbs 3:5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. I pray that for us. Would you mind standing with me? We're going to I want you to close your eyes and just spend a minute with God on your own. I want you to ask him this question. Lord, is there anything inside me? Any any area of my life where I am not walking in obedience? Where I'm where I'm rebelling against your word? And let the Holy Spirit just speak to you about what it is that you, um, that He desires you to obey Him in. With every eye closed, I would like you to just put up your hand to be included in our prayer. If you feel, man, I've probably not obeyed God. I've probably made up my own versions of the commandments that I need to follow. I have probably told God, well, God, this is how we do it in our culture instead of truly bowing my knee to Him and obeying Him. I've, I've probably not wanted to go against culture because I'm either afraid of people's opinions or what man will say. And so I would rather do something more culturally acceptable than than to really pursue you with all my heart. If that's you and you want to make a commitment to God to to start obeying his word more accurately. Why don't you put up your hand right now? God, you see every hand raised. Father, I pray that you will meet them in in their place with grace today. God, we know that we require so much of your grace. And I know that you say in your word, if we confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I pray that all of us in this room might make a commitment today to really walk in obedience and in humility toward your word, that we won't tell your world, your word, how it is done here, but that we will tell here how it's done according to the word. I want to pray this prayer in Psalm 119 as a prayer over you. if you If you raised your hand today, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I, went, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that we might be a church that's marked by radical intentional, passionate obedience and humility. God, I pray that we will be a community for one another that is grace-filled, that's not judgmental, that's not angry at each other, but that we will be there for one another and we will help one another to walk according to your word. God, I pray that we won't tell you What we think is true. We will read. What you tell us is true. And we will accept that. As final authority. In our lives. God I pray that as we. Learn to love you better. Through our obedience. That our relationship with you will grow. In leaps and bounds. And that we will experience. Your goodness more and more. We will experience. The the great uh, pri- privilege of being in your presence and, and, and experiencing your love firsthand, God, not through other people's um, experiences and, 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 and their stories, but for ourselves. We love you, Lord. We love you, love you, love you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus today. Amen and amen. Amen.